few weeks ago, Karen and I were outside doing a little bit of yard work, and we sat down to take a break. And so I'm looking around, see this little monarch butterfly flitting around. So I kind of watched the butterfly, and over between the bus garage and the Parsonage car garage, where the grass kind of comes to a point there, some little tiny white flowers about that big, little bunch of them. So I watched this, this monarch butterfly, and he goes over there and starts working the flowers a little bit, and I noticed there were several others, a couple of others. There were like three of them over there. They were kind of working the flowers, and so I watched them, and as I watched, I noticed another butterfly over there, kind of a yellow one, and working that same patch of flowers, and I began to watch it more closely, and there were several bees that were working the same patch of flowers. But it's a popular place to be, apparently. But as, as I watched them, there was one time in particular that I, I made a mental note of. There was one of the little monarchs went over and worked this particular flower, and it left, and one of the bees went over and worked the same flower. So I kind of I watched this process for a little bit. And I noticed how they were all going about their work, same patch, no problem. One would leave a flower, the other one would come to it. They were all doing what they do. They were all different, and yet the bees didn't sting the butterflies. The butterflies didn't get in a fight with the bees. They all just kind of went about their business, peacefully, together, coexisting. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, it says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And the whole point of that text there is we can know God. We can understand some of God's invisible attributes by some of the things that we see in nature around us, some of his creation. And so as I, as I saw that unfold, I thought, perfect harmony. You've got these, these different creatures feeding. They're all, but they're, they're getting along. They're working together. And, and I thought, isn't that what God wants from us? You see, when it comes to us, some of the things that God wants, God wants for all of us to work at the work he gave us, without any of the disputing, bickering, and backbiting that so often marks the sinful world around us. Without that mud and mire of the my way or the highway world from whence we came and whence we were supposed to have left behind right in that baptistry when we put that old man of sin to death. We were supposed to leave all of that there. Leave it behind when we arose to walk in newness of life, Romans 6. And especially when it comes to something as fickle, as fleeting, and as momentary as our differences of opinion. For any of you that may have taken the time and put in the effort to watch the first presidential debate or debacle or whatever you want to call it, I didn't watch it, but from what I understand, it kind of melted down into two bullies the playground and really was somewhat of a disgrace when we talk about that high of an office. But I want for us to understand something. We're called to be better than that. Did you know that? We have a higher calling than the President of the United States. And if you don't believe that this afternoon when you get home, read the second Psalm. It'll straighten it all out. Because you see, they're working over this momentary earthly kingdom, looking for leadership there. But you and I work for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are in an eternal kingdom that cannot be shaken. We are part of an eternal kingdom that will never end. We have a much higher calling than the President of the United States has. We're part of something that will outlast it, we are a part of a kingdom that is so much greater 
And we have the privilege of being a part of that. And so we're not to act like the world acts, like even those two men acted. We have a far higher calling. You see, in that same chapter that I just quoted from, Romans chapter 1, it goes on to discuss a number of the evil things that those foolish enough to deny God actually indulge in at times, but brethren which cannot and must not ever mark or mar, mar our Christianity. Romans chapter 1 goes on to give a list of things that are very wicked in the eyes of God, things that are supposed to be left behind, amongst which in Romans chapter 1, verses 29 through 31, we find these words. I'm not going to read the whole verse, but there's certain words I want you to key in on. Maliciousness. Envy. Strife. You all know what strife is. Deceit. Evil-mindedness. Being whisperers backbiters, unloving, unforgiving, and unmerciful. Those must never mark us as Christians, ever. They have no place in the kingdom. Now, that is not to say that you and I, that the church, that the saints, that is not to say that we as Christians are not going to have differences of opinion. We are over disputable matters or debatable matters, just as I preached a few weeks ago from Romans 14. Listen, you can't put two people, those of you that are about to get married, you can't put two people together who don't have differences of opinion from time to time. All of you that have been married more than 10 minutes would say amen, right? You can't put two people together that don't have differences of opinion over disputable matters at times together. What happens when you put a whole congregation together? Of course, we're going to have differences of opinion. It's going to happen. We're all different. We're all different people. We all come from different backgrounds. We all have different lives and situations that we are living in. We all have different situations we're living with. We are all different people with different problems and different personalities and different perspectives, of course. We're going to have differences of opinion from time to time. It's going to happen. There's no avoiding it when it comes to disputable matters. Of course, it doesn't mean that we're never going to have some vastly differing opinions from time to time. We are. But what it does mean is this, that when we do, when we do, and we will, when we do, that we as Christ's people must handle them totally differently than the lost world around us handles theirs. We must. Jesus made this incredibly clear because as the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, 3, where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? And brethren, the more like mere men we are, the more likely we are to be with those mere men in eternity rather than with the Lord. And that's kind of Paul's message in 1 Corinthians 3. And that is what today's sermon is meant to address, to help to make sure that we always all avoid that. As the old pop song, and yes, I'm going to date myself, I didn't look it up for the time, but some of you will remember it. As the old pop song says, remember Ebony, how many of you remember the song Ebony and Ivory, right? Anybody? Okay. Remember the key line? Ebony and Ivory work together in perfect harmony side by side on my piano keyboard. Oh Lord, why can't we? Is that a message that could resonate or should with today's world? Wow. But it should resonate even more in the church because there's going to be times 
that our opinions on disputable matters are going to be as different as night and day, black and white, ebony and ivory, and yet we should still work together in perfect harmony. I'm not pushing instrumental music here. Don't go home and say, Doug said that's okay. That's not my point. I'm also reminded of how blue and gray, right? Go together okay, don't they? Blue and gray can work together instead of being at war with one another, the same as ebony and ivory. That brings us to point number one, three-point sermon this morning. Point number one, it is inevitable that wherever you have people, i.e. more than one person, and even people who love each other deeply and sincerely, you are inevitably going to experience differences of opinion from time to time. Differences of opinion that can easily turn into all-out disputes if they are not handled correctly. It was true of Jesus' own apostles. Did you know that? Those who spent three and a half years with him. Happened to them. I mean, I know you've heard this before, but I'm going to take it on a little different track this morning. Jesus' own disciples had this difference of opinion turned into a dispute had to be dealt with. All began several weeks earlier when they were in Capernaum. I'm going to ask that you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. I'm not going to start there, but I'm going to ask that you turn there. Matthew, Mark, and Luke record this incident. Luke 9, verse 46. Once you've turned to Mark 9, Luke 9, verse 46 says, Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be greatest. That Greek word used in Luke 9, 46 is translated argument in the New American Standard Version, argument. Then an argument arose amongst them. It is that same word, translated dispute in Luke 9, 46. In the New King James Version, or argument in the New American Standard Version, that is used to tell all New Testament church members in Philippians 2, 14, to do all things without complaining or disputing. That's written for all of us. It was written to the Philippian church, but it's written to us as well. It's that same word. So let's look at how Mark actually records this incident that Luke does in Luke 9. Let's look in Mark 9, beginning at verse 33. Then he came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? Now, Jesus didn't need to ask that question. <laughs> Jesus already knew, and we're going to see that in a minute. Jesus knew exactly what they were disputing about, but he wanted for them to think. I, I, I can't prove this, just my thought. I think he wanted them to think. What was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent. For on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. Question. Why do you think they kept silent? I want you to put yourself in their, their shoes. Why do you think they buttoned it? Embarrassed? Maybe? I don't know. Text doesn't tell us, but put yourself in their shoes. They're back here following Jesus, and they're arguing about which one of them is the greatest, and they all got their own opinion. Probably their votes are all in for themselves, right? When Jesus said, what were you arguing about, boys? Why? Ashamed, maybe? Embarrassed, maybe? A little bit? I wonder sometimes if Jesus were to come out and ask each one of us in our maybe private discussions, if Jesus could personally, and he's not going to speak to us this way today, and I understand that, but if Jesus said, hey, what was that all about? What were you talking about? I suppose some of us at times might go, 
the same reason. But you see, Luke adds in Luke 9, 47, that Jesus perceived the thought of their heart. You cannot, you cannot fool an all-knowing God. You can't surprise him. You, can't, you just can't do it. Hebrews 4.13, there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Jesus doesn't have to come out and ask us in those times what we were discussing when we, when we were being maybe a little belligerent in our opinion. He knows exactly what we were talking about. He knew what they were talking about. How do I know that? Well, I know it not only from Hebrews 4.13, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke all go on to tell how Jesus then took a little child, set the child in their midst, and sought to solve their dispute once and for all about who was the greatest by explaining that in his kingdom, completely contrary to the way the world around them did things, the greatest one, here's the answer, boys, here's the answer to the question. The greatest one is going to be the one who serves others. Period. End of discussion. That's it. I've solved your dispute. I've, I've solved your difference of opinion. That's the end of it. But they didn't seem to have heard a single word he said. So the arguing, the disputing, continues. The division continues. You see, what starts as a difference of opinion can easily become a dispute, and it can divide. And this goes so far that not only does the arguing, disputing, and division continue, but it leads to the devising of devious schemes in order to get their own way. It goes further. In Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 20, Apparently, James and John didn't feel as though people were listening too much to their opinion, so what did James and John do? They said, if we can't get anywhere with these other people, we'll go to the leader. We'll go right straight to Jesus. We'll have Mommy help us. So in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 23, James and John, having met no success with convincing everybody that they were the greatest and that their way was the way, they go around the rest of the disciples and go straight to Jesus which only causes more problems. Matthew 20, verse 24, when the 10 heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Those who are great exercise authority over them. You know how the world works, but that's not the way it's gonna work in my kingdom, verse 26. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Not just a servant, your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now you'd have thought second time around these guys would have gotten it, but they didn't. Even then they didn't seem to understand that they couldn't be like the world around them in solving their, their disputes. They had a higher calling, and we know this because of what happened later on in what we call the night of the Last Supper in Luke chapter 22. Please turn there with me. They've been through this twice now, but somehow the disciples just weren't getting it. So the night of the Last Supper, as we call it, Jesus is having Passover with his disciples, and it says, After he institute what we call the Lord's Supper in Luke 22, these boys are still at it. Jesus just said, I'm gonna shed my blood for you. Ought to have told them who was the greatest, but verse 24, now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them would be considered the greatest. Now, and I know we've talked about this before in sermons, but here's something I didn't realize. That word dispute that you're looking at here in verse 24, this is, this blew my mind. That word dispute, the Greek term is philo nikeia. Philo nikeia. Spell it any way you'd like. <laughs> it is the only time that this particular Greek word is used in the entire New Testament. Okay? And it is not even used of the scribes. 
It is not used of the Pharisees. It is not even used of the pagans, the ungodly ones that the apostles took the message to, which might surprise you when you find out what the word means. But it's not used even of them. Philo Nicaea. We know what the first part of the word means, right? Philo, love, right? Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, Philo. The word Philo Nicaea means a love of strife, an eagerness to contend. You can look the word up yourself. A love of strife, an eagerness to contend. There was a, an eagerness to contend among them. There was a love of strife amongst them. These, peop, they, these boys still wanted to fight, even that night. And so Jesus hits them for the third time with the same message, verses 25 and 6. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. Have we seen that message before? This is the third time. The little child illustration didn't get it done for him. The previous two times didn't get it done for him. But here's the kicker. Don't miss this. Jesus knew that if this dispute over which one of them was the greatest didn't stop immediately, he knew what it would do. Jesus knew that if this dispute didn't come to an end quickly, it would continue to disrupt and divide them ultimately and eventually destroying the very unity which was so essential to the entire mission he was about to go to the cross for and leave them to carry out. If this, if this continued, if, if the divide got deeper and they continued to dispute and, and to fight over this and it got worse and it got worse, it would take away the very unity that was the foundation of the entire mission and, and what Jesus was about to die for would be lost because a key to that was their unity. So Jesus knew that absolutely drastic action was necessary in order to finally get this point across, to stop this thing before it got any worse. And so in verse 27, Jesus continued, he said, for who is greater? He who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table Yet I am among you as the one who serves. It is believed by a number of commentators that it is precisely at this point in the discussion that Jesus did what John 13 tells us, that at this point is where he got up from the table, took off his outer garment, got the basin, and washed their feet. Think about how fitting that would be. He said, Who's greater, he who sits at the table? He's answering their question. Or he who serves, isn't he who, sits at the, he who sits at the table the greater? And then Jesus goes and gets the basin and washes each one of their feet, trying to get a point across to these guys. He had to take drastic action. So this is where the events that John recorded in John 13 come in. And what's the message of John 13? You love and you serve even those who are least deserving and most disruptive, those of a completely differing opinion. That very night, that very event, Jesus is confronted with a difference of opinion, isn't he? What happened when Jesus got to Peter? Peter had a little different opinion of the way things were going to go down, didn't he? You'll never wash my feet. Did he have a difference of opinion with Jesus? Did he? What did Jesus say? You're right, your feet smell bad and I'm not doing it. No, Jesus said, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me, Peter. Peter said, well, go ahead and wash all of me and Jesus said, don't need to. We know the story. But the point is, even that night, there were disputes from the disciples Yes, it is inevitable that wherever you have people, and even Jesus' own disciples, that you are going to have differences of opinion 
on disputable matters from time to time, which in turn, if they are not handled with sincere Christian love, 1 Peter 1, 22 through 2, 3, then they can escalate. They can deteriorate into angry disputes, which will in the end ultimately divide us and therefore destroy the absolute unity, which is so absolutely critical to carrying out the divine mission which our Lord and Savior came, went to the cross for, and left us to continue with. You see, we can't allow that to happen. Brings us to point number two. How do we handle those unavoidable differences of opinion that we're always going to have on disputable matters. I mean, they're here to stay. There's no getting around it. So, so how do we handle them without them becoming the dirty, divisive, disruptive, and destructive things that they so often do in the world? Without them becoming the dirty, divisive, destructive, things that happen to our unity, to our fellowship, to our relationships, and ultimately to our own eternal destinations, how do we deal with them? The answer to that one's real easy. By learning, heeding, and obeying the instructions given to our first century brethren who were prone to doing the same thing. That's how. And I've got to go back to reviewing the instructions given to those brethren in Rome from Romans 14, and I'd ask you to turn there. On disputable matters, matters of opinion, not whether or not baptism now saves you, there's no debate, it does, 1 Peter 3.21, but on those disputable matters, this is how we handle them. And I'm only gonna read certain verses because of certain lessons that I want us to get out of these blocks of verses. Romans 14, one through three. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. One believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. The lesson in Romans 14, one through three is simply this. Let not him who does despise him who doesn't. And not, let not him who doesn't despise him who does. Verse five. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. He who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat, and gives God thanks. Lesson of these verses. The one who does, does so recognizing God. The one who does not, does not. Still recognizing God. God has accepted them both. Verse 10, but why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, as it says in verse 12, where each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Now watch what Paul says. He says, I know. Paul doesn't say, I'm thinking, I guess, it's my opinion. Paul says, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus. Is this gonna be a pretty strong statement, you think? Paul says, I know, and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus, there's nothing unclean of itself. But, to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. Don't destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. And Paul said it's okay to eat and it's okay not to eat, and he said, you could go either way on this, Hattie. Yeah, it's okay. Either way is fine. 
Whatever, it's a disputable matter, it's okay. Do it, don't do it, whatever. But here's the problem. Don't destroy with your brother or sister your opinion. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God isn't eating and drinking. It's not about those momentary differences of opinion or different perspectives we have, but it's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom, the church, is, about, is supposed to be about righteousness. It's supposed to be about peace. It's supposed to be about joy. We're to say the things that edify one another. We are to bring peace to one another. The church should be the most joyous place on the planet. We should have this happy. It's not about some of the trivial differences of opinion. For he who serves Christ, verse 18, in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. That's all that matters when it comes to disputable matters. Are we, are we trying to edify one another and build each other up? Is, is that what, that's what we're supposed to be doing. The church is about peace and joy and edifying and taking care of one another when it comes to disputable matters. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure. Here comes Paul again. He said, look, I know what's right. All things are pure. So y'all better do it. No, that's not what he says. All things indeed are pure, but it's evil for the man who eats with offense. It's good neither to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. But, but I love what he, how he wraps it up here. Look at verse 22. Do you have faith? Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. What does that mean? That means if I have a disputable matter, a matter of opinion, God hasn't ruled on it one way or the other, there's nothing that indicates what it should or shouldn't be, it's a disputable matter like the color of the carpet. And I am convinced that this color is just ugly, which I'm not, don't get upset at me, okay? But everybody else thinks it is just the most beautiful color since color began. You know what I need to do for the sake of my brethren? I need to have faith and keep, my, keep it to myself. I don't need to say, are you out of your mind? When was the last time you had your eyes checked? It's ugly. No. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God, and again, on disputable matters. Look what he says. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. The lesson from these verses? Even though your opinion might be absolutely right, just like Paul's was, to force it on someone who sees it the other way is to condemn yourself by causing your brother to sin. That's the message. Let me say that again. Even though your opinion might be right, just like Paul's was here, he knew. But to force your opinion in disputable matters on someone who sees it the other way is to condemn yourself by causing them to sin, verse 23. Think about that. For example, let's say when it comes to wearing neckties, okay? You got these two old boys in the church, both of them faithful. One's a businessman, one's a farmer. The businessman's in the business world all the time, traveling around, always wearing a necktie. And, and he is just convinced that if you don't wear a necktie to church, you're going to hell because you've got to give God your best and, and, and it's got to be a necktie because if you don't wear a necktie, you're just simply wrong. And then you've got this other old boy who's a farmer. He's got one of the most humble hearts that you've ever seen in a Christian. This man is, is as much a Christian as, as anybody could ever be. But guess what? He's lived on farm all his life and, the absolute, and he believes you should give God your best too. And the absolute best he's got, his Sunday best. He reserves it way back in the corner of his closet so that nothing gets on it is his best pair of Carhartts. That's the best this old boy's got. And every Sunday he wears the same thing to church. It's the only thing he wears it for because he's got this reverence for God. And he's of the opinion that, well, I've never worn a necktie, never owned a necktie, and I'm giving God my best. And, and I know the fishermen didn't come to church in neckties every morning after they fished all night. And doesn't God read the heart anyway? And, I, and I'm giving him the best I got physically. Oh no, if you ain't wearing a necktie, you're going to hell. That's the other old brother. Oh no, 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 no overalls it. You see where this can go? Let me ask you a question. Both these men giving God the absolute best they got in everything. Do you think they're both Christians going to heaven? Everything I read would say yeah. But you see what can happen? Do you see what can happen? 
Same thing happens with our one cup brethren. You know, this whole idea of using only one cup, I wrote a whole book about it. First off, it's a misunderstanding of scripture. It's taking something that Jesus used a figure of speech on and looking at it literally, which is a misunderstanding to begin with. But the second thing about our one cup brethren is it's, if they want to use one cup in their churches, I got no problem with that. Do you? Uh, everybody here go. Okay, no. What the problem is, is that in some of these little towns, you'll have some brethren that are so, so caught up in this, this, this misunderstanding of scripture that they'll say, unless you drink from one cup like we do, you are not going to heaven. not true and Luke 22 proves it because they took it and divided it amongst themselves but see but see see what separation and division can occur my way or the highway even if I ain't got it right look at the warning the Apostle Paul ends his message to the first century brethren in Corinth with 2nd Corinthians 12 please turn there verses 19 and 20 1st Corinthians chapter 12 verses 19 and 20 I'm sorry second second Corinthians my bad I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Version. Look at the warning he ends this with. Actually, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I am afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish and may be found by you to be not what you wish. That perhaps there will be, look at this. Paul says, this is the last thing I want to find because if I do, you're going to find that I'm something you don't want me to be. Strife. Jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. That's the New American Standard Version. Folks, none of those have any place in God's kingdom. And it's interesting, something else I ran across, some of the word meanings here blew my mind. The Greek word that's translated disputes, there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes. This Greek word means, for disputes, electioneering. <laughs> Appropriate time of year, right? Electioneering or intriguing for office. Apparently, in the New Testament, a courting distinction, a desire to put one's self forward a partisan and fractious spirit which does not disdain low arts. You can look that up in, in Vines. What, it, a, a desire to put oneself first that does not disdain low arts. What does it mean, does not disdain low arts? That means, <laughs> doesn't have a problem using whatever is necessary to get myself first doesn't have a problem with it, does not disdain low arts. It's sort of like when James and John went to Jesus. They didn't mind sneaking around behind the other disciples' backs and going to Jesus. They didn't disdain low arts. They didn't, they couldn't do whatever they had to do. That's what the word disputes means here. Same Greek word that's translated disputes in 2 Corinthians 12.20 in the New American Standard is translated elsewhere in the New American Standard as selfishly ambitious, Romans 2.8, selfish ambition, Philippians 1.17 and James 3.14 and 16, and finally as selfishness in Philippians 2.3. That's the same word used for disputes, this, this desire to put oneself first and doing whatever is necessary to make it happen. In other words, it is a, I can say this, in other words, it is a dispute caused and carried on by somebody who's going to do whatever it takes to force others to conform to their opinion and comply with their conclusions no matter what. Scary. The same word is also translated disputes in the list of sins of the flesh in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. And again, it's listed there with some of its closest relatives, such as Enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. And you remember what the rest of that goes on to say in Galatians 5? Remember what the rest of And I warn you as I did before that those who do these things shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. You remember that? Turn to me to Galatians 5, would you please? 
Not only does it tell us that in Galatians chapter 5, that's why this is so scary, brethren. Not only does it tell us that in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, but look what comes just before that. Look what leads up to that. Speaking of Galatians 5, look at verses 13 through 15. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Where have we seen love and serve before? John 13, mentioned earlier, you'll recall. Through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. You know what the word bite there means? We throw that word around a lot today, right? You know what the word bite there means? Greek word. Metaphorically, to wound the soul, to cut, to lacerate, to tear with reproaches, to tear with, what does that mean? That means to rip your brother or sister apart. That's what it means to bite, to lacerate, to rend or tear with reproaches. Sort of like you see some of these animal shows where the wolves or whatever are just digging in and just ripping and tearing. That's what that word means. Now what if a brother or sister should ever, God forbid, but what if a brother or sister should refuse to repent, relent, and to obey this instruction? They would refuse, again, God forbid, but what if they should ever refuse to rid themselves of this bitter, earthly, conflict-causing attitude? What do we do with that? What, do, what, do, what is everybody else supposed to, what should everybody else do with that? Bible's pretty clear there, too. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 and 18. Repay no one evil for evil, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. But, but, but Doug, how do you do that? How do you live peaceably with someone who wants to compel you, somebody who wants to force you to comply with their opinion, even though you would have to violate your own conscience in order to do that? Well, how do you deal with somebody who wants to force compliance with their opinion that would cause you to have to, to sear and violate your own convictions? They want to do that instead of loving and accepting you for who and where you are on any given matter of opinion. What, how do you do that? How do you, how do you live at peace with them? The Bible's clear. It's easy. It's easy to see where it says to do it. Here's what you do. Love them and pray for them. Matthew 5 and verse 44. Gently admonish them. Continue to love and serve and do good to them. And otherwise avoid the whole contention or discussion with them. 2 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 15. 2 Timothy 2, 23 and especially Proverbs 26, 17 through 27. Which brings me to the third and final point that I'm gonna cover really quickly. What happens if the difference of opinion on disputable matters morphs into a dispute that graduates into a division that escalates into a total breakdown of the unity that we must have to carry out the mission. What happens then? As I've already said, wherever you have more than one person, you're always going to have multiple differences of opinion that can turn into that if you don't address them quickly and correctly. It's true in a marriage. Isn't it true in a marriage? Sure is. Isn't it true in a physical family? If these things start and they're allowed to escalate and, and, and people don't take the proper godly Christian love attitude and actions, everybody on their own, not looking at anybody else but just their own, if, if, if that 
doesn't happen, then it can divide whole families. Not just physical ones, but the family of God as well. Hence, the difference will always be not that we don't have those differences of opinion over disputable matters, but the way we handle them. We must handle them quickly, correctly, and in Christian love because of what it will do to the Lord's message and mission if we don't. Within one hour of Shoto, there is a town with four times the population of Pryor. and nine times the congregations of the church. Get that? It is a town four times the size of Pryor with nine times as many churches of Christ because Pryor has one. One congregation there, according to the booklet we've got in the office on church sizes in the US, one congregation there has four people in it. One congregation has 28. One congregation has 38. One congregation has 60. And then there are obviously five other congregations with more in attendance. Now, it's my understanding, talking with a preacher from that area, that there over the years, actually a couple of preachers that, that know the situation there, that over the years there have been attempts to reconcile some of those churches, nine churches of Christ in this one town. Nine. But the problem is, is that due to differences of opinion that became disputes, that became divisions, and some of these maybe a generation or two ago, and it's the family members that are left, they can't seem to get any of these churches back together. Isn't that sad? Folks, there's not gonna be separate rooms in heaven. Newsflash, each town's not gonna have nine separate rooms where four can stay and six can stay and 22 can stay. It's not gonna work that way, not from what I understand. I don't see all those different rooms gathered around the throne. The conclusion of the matter and of today's sermon It's inevitable that we are always on something, on something that is disputable. We are always going to have differences of opinion. It's gonna happen. I'm, guess, I'm guessing probably that if I raise my hand, if I asked you this question right now and asked you to raise your hands, and I'm not gonna do that, but if I were to mention either presidential candidate that probably not all of you would be in agreement in this room. Okay. Can we still be brothers and sisters washed by the blood in Christ and work together? Can we? If we can't, we have a problem. We have a huge problem. Can I wear a necktie to church and still work side by side with a brother who's never owned one? Can, can, we, can, I, can we do that? You know what? Because the, the kingdom is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy, Holy Spirit. It's about edifying one another. It's about being unified in the mission and the message. It's not about whether I wear a necktie. It is inevitable that there are always going to be differences of opinion over disputable matters amongst us as beloved and blood-bought brethren in Christ. It is unavoidable, inescapable, and undeniable, but it is how we handle those that makes the difference between us as God's people and those who are not. It's the way we deal with them. When they occur, and we seek to force or compel those of the opposing opinion to comply with or to conform to our opinion like those in the world we should have left behind do, 
That is when dispute, division, disruption, and eventually the destruction of the entire mission Jesus left us with also occurs as well, Philippians 1.27 through 2.16. If we cannot live a life of Christian love, service, long-suffering, forgiveness, and differences of opinion on disputable matters, then we are going to render the Lord's mission, God forbid, pretty much all for nothing in our location and in our generation. What was his mission? Jesus' mission was to send us out forward as a living exhibition of his love, his truth, his mercy and forgiveness, as well as his and his father's oneness, John 17, 20 and 21. That is what the mission is. But we can't do it if there's strife, division, disputes amongst us that's eroding our unity. And that's what Jesus gave us all those instructions for to make sure that that didn't happen. This morning, are you one with Jesus? Have you been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? We'd love to do that for you now, baptize you into Christ. If you're ready for that, we can study with you if you'd like. But also, if you've already done that, and yet maybe, maybe there's something that's still a part of you that you should have left in the water when you crucified that old man of sin, maybe you need to love somebody a little differently than you have been. If you need the prayers of the church or to make those prayers right now to God, today is the first day of the rest of your life. Thank God for another day to correct some of the things that maybe we need to correct. Isn't God awesome? Today's the first day of the rest of your life. Can't change the past, but you can change the future. If we can help you with that through baptism, prayers of the church, or anything else, please come to the front as we stand and sing.